and sing with full voice this morning. Thank you for singing out to the glory of the Lord this morning. John chapter number 10. We spent a good deal of time in John chapter number 9 and the narrative there of the healing of the blind man. And we transition to chapter 10. Now we understand that the chapter and verse are not inspired written word of God. The, the chapter and verse designations were added uh, many centuries later. I forget the, uh, the time frame and when the chapter and verse designations uh, were added for organization, uh, for uh, being able to look up passages and to see uh, sometimes different paragraphs and things. But chapter 10 and chapter 9 are actually part of the same occasion, the same story. And so, again, understanding uh, we are uh, reading from and hearing from uh, the inspired Word of God this morning, but the, the, these chapters, these designations, this separation here uh, is, is actually uh, just for organization, and actually chapters 9 and 10 go hand in hand. It's actually the discourse on the Good Shepherd in chapter 10 that the background story is the healing of the blind man. And so when Jesus is speaking in verse number one, he's actually continuing or actually he's transitioning into a discourse or a sermon. Chapter nine in verse 41, Jesus said unto them, if ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. So here's these antagonistic Jews, the Jews, led by a group of religious leaders who hate Jesus. They have already attacked Jesus in previous occasions and wanting to murder him, have actually picked up stones to cast at him, and he, and he walked through them in their midst, and God spared him, and obviously they could not touch Jesus uh, without God's uh, providence and in, in God's time, and there would be uh, the time when Jesus would eventually lay down his life, and he'll make reference to that uh, even here in John chapter number 10 a little later. But in this story, in this event, Jesus had healed this man that had been born blind. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, again, this group, the Jews, antagonistic toward Jesus, they were upset with Jesus because he had healed the man on the Sabbath day. And we spent some time looking at this in the previous weeks and the previous messages. And they had held up the Sabbath with commandments of men supposedly to protect God's law regarding the Sabbath. And they had heaped dozens of man-made laws on top of the doctrine of the Sabbath, so, so much so that the principle of the Sabbath and the honoring of the Sabbath for God's purposes had really kind of been lost in all the man-made rules, in all of the details of these commandments of men that the Pharisees had heaped upon the law of God. And so now with Jesus healing the blind man on the Sabbath day, the Pharisees once again got very upset because Jesus had broken one of their man-made commandments. But they were so arrogant, so full of pride, and in such rebellion and in stubbornness against God that they had literally held up their man-made commandment to the same level as the authority of God and his word. And they were full of hypocrisy. They thought they were establishing the very law of God, and yet they hated the Messiah 
They hated the very Son of God, and they were in rebellion against God himself, and against the Son of God, and against God's revealed Word of God. And here they are, in chapter 9, having a division among themselves, because there were some Pharisees who spoke up, and we won't go back and rehearse all the verses in chapter 9, but there were some Pharisees, some among the group of the Jews, the religious leaders, who had some doubts and were beginning to wonder if they should be pursuing Jesus with such animosity. They're not named by name, maybe Nicodemus, maybe Joseph of Arimathea, we're not sure, but there was this division among the Pharisees because some of them were convinced that only God could perform the miracles that Jesus did, that only God could speak with this authority, that only God could be doing this work. And so they began to discuss among themselves. And in an effort to silence their opposition, And to condemn Christ, there were a group of angry Pharisees who brought that blind man back in and questioned him whether the miracle was real. Jesus had healed him. He had had spit on the ground. He had taken his saliva. He had made some clay, put it on the blind man's eyes. He told him to wash in the pool of Siloam, and the man was able to see. And with no compassion, no concern, no care for the miraculous healing of this blind man, they're arguing amongst themselves, and one group says, okay, well, let's just bring this blind man in, this previously blind man in, and let him speak for himself to see if this miracle is real. I mean, they're so angry, they're so upset, their pride has been so stepped on, and so unwilling are they to admit their hypocrisy and their sin, that they're even doubting the clear work of God in healing this blind man. And they bring him in, and they question him. And, of course, he said, I, I was blind. I, I know for a fact. I, I never could see until this man healed me. And he did not know at the time that it was Jesus. He wasn't certain quite yet. Around the middle of chapter 9, uh, they were still uh, questioning him. And he said, I, I don't know who he was, but I, I, I once was blind, and now I can see. And so they go a step further, and they bring in this blind man's parents Still saying, well, maybe, maybe this blind man is lying. Maybe he has pulled a ruse. Maybe he has tricked us all into thinking all these years he had been blind, but he really wasn't. Now, I cannot imagine a man being able to pull off that kind of a trick or a scheme and be a beggar on the side of the road for all those years and be faking it the whole time. Now, remember, there was no welfare system, no social safety nets. There were no... Uh, disability acts, uh, there was no social security, no Medicaid, no Medicare, nothing. He was literally a beggar. His family wasn't probably even able to fully care for him, and he ended up on the streets as a beggar. So here he is. Clearly, he would not have just been playing a trick or making all this up, but they still, with such animosity toward Christ, now they go and they question this man's parents, and the man's parents confirmed that he had been blind from birth. But they would not say that it was Jesus that healed him because they they were afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue. They were afraid of being excommunicated from the Jewish synagogue. That was extremely important in that day. The synagogue was the center of Jewish religion and worship, the center of Jewish community. And to get kicked out of the synagogue was literally to be excommunicated, to be even to be distanced from family. And family was even told to not have communication or 
have a, uh, a time where they could be uh, part of family gatherings and, and that kind of thing. So this was a, a major ordeal. If they had been kicked out of the synagogue, his parents would have been left out of a lot of Jewish society. So they were not willing to say it was Jesus. So again, the Pharisees bring the blind man back. And, he tried, and they tried to get him to recant, to deny that Christ had healed him. And again, he makes that statement, one thing I know, that whereas, whereas I was blind, now I see. And then Jesus calls, so Jesus meets the blind man, excuse me, he meets the blind man. And in verse 38 of John chapter number 9, as uh, Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. The man who had been previously blind had been given physical sight, but in verse 38, he is given spiritual sight. But here are these religious leaders, this group of antagonistic Jews, and Jesus speaks to them in verse 41, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin, but now, we, now ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. And again, the contrast. Here's the religious leaders. They are spiritually blind. Oh, physically they can see. Physically they can behold the wonders of creation. They can go about their daily lives seeing. And what a gift the, the gift of sight is. What a Glorious gift it is. We take it for granted until we have an issue with our eyes. As we get older or as we have various issues with our eyesight, we really have a great and wonderful gift from God in being able to see. And we can't even develop cameras. I know the iPhone 14, I think, is about to come out. And it's got the Ultra and the Pro and all the different versions, and it's going to have probably another updated camera. But even the updated cameras of today's phones cannot fully replicate the human eye. It is an incredible gift created by God. And we so often take it for granted. They had this gift of sight physically, but they were blind spiritually, blinded by their sin. And all of this is the background that sets the stage for Christ's sermon, for this discourse in chapter 10. We read through verses 1 through 5 already in our scripture reading. I won't rehearse all those verses for sake of time. But we identify two groups of people. We identify the true shepherd, Jesus Christ, and the false shepherds, which are specifically the religious leaders, specifically those in rebellion and in animosity toward Jesus. And we're going to see today the contrast between the true shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, and the false shepherds. There's a mention of thieves and robbers. Verse number one. Thieves and robbers. The same as a thief and a robber. A thief and a robber is identified as climbing into the sheepfold from some other way. This would be the false shepherds, the false teachers specifically in the historical application in the context of this passage, Jesus would be referring to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the religious hypocrites, who were false teachers, false shepherds. We know very clearly in this passage, Jesus teaches that sheep follow their shepherd. We also see a mention of the fold, the sheepfold. The sheepfold is the entire kingdom of, 
over which the shepherd stands guard. Now again, without getting too uh, confusing, there is an application in the historical grammatical context that references Israel, references the religious leaders and the nation of Israel. But we understand by the inspiration of God's word and the preservation of God's word that there is a general application for us, for the soteriological principles that are necessary in the applications that we can make from this passage. There is an application to Israel in that specific historical context in that day. But there is a general application for us right now in the world in which we live, in the day and age in which we live. And there is a kingdom of God right now. That kingdom of God is made up of true believers. The kingdom of God right now is made up of true believers. Philippians 3 in verse number 20 speaks to our conversation or our citizenship being in heaven. That means that true believers, those who have repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross and His resurrection, they have entered into God's kingdom in a spiritual sense. So the kingdom of God is made up of true believers. Now God remains sovereign over the entire universe. But His direct rule is over His children. Now, does that mean that Satan does not have some influence? Of course he does. We know in the New Testament that, that, that Satan is referred to as the prince of the power of the air and the god of this world. So Satan has influence, but his authority is not absolute, and his power is limited. God's power, God's power is absolute. His authority is not limited. His authority is absolute and his power is not limited. Satan's authority is limited. His power and his authority are not absolute. But Satan does have influence. He has the world. He has the flesh at his disposal. We are sinners by nature and by birth. But we know that God has his rule and his reign. He has his kingdom. And all those who have trusted Christ as their Savior have entered spiritually into his kingdom. But we also look forward to the physical kingdom of God that will be established here on this earth that's referred to as the millennial kingdom. And I believe in the pre-tribulational rapture and I believe in the pre-millennial return of Jesus Christ in the literal 1,000 year reign of Jesus Christ on this earth that will then usher in an eternal kingdom. In the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, and the new earth. So there is a physical, a literal physical kingdom of God that will be ruled and reigned by Jesus Christ here on the earth. That's in the future. Right now, the kingdom of God is those who are true believers. So we can make application in John chapter number 10. And we can see the sheepfold is only for those who truly know the good shepherd, who enter by the door, who is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. So who are the thieves and the robbers? They're the false teachers. Who's the hireling that's mentioned later in this passage? That's a false teacher. 
So we see again in verse number one, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. So we see the contrast. The good shepherd brings the sheep through the one way, through the one door into the sheepfold. There's only one way into God's kingdom. That's through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said in John 14, verse number 6. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So we see the sheepfold as the kingdom of God, and there's only one way to enter in, and that's through Jesus Christ, who is the door. We follow him as the good shepherd. But there are thieves. There are robbers. There are hirelings. And Jesus is essentially telling those Pharisees, those religious leaders, that group of Jews attacking Christ, he is essentially saying, you are the thieves, you are the robbers, you are the hirelings. And for us right now in the 21st century, we have to be on guard because there are thieves and there are robbers and there are hirelings all around And the internet is not doing us any favors. The internet is full of hirelings and thieves and robbers. And sadly, they have in some cases infiltrated evangelical circles. Professing Christians have accepted some thieves and some robbers and some hirelings. Wolves in sheep's clothing as they're referred to in another gospel account. Sadly, the evangelical church, broader evangelicalism, that is, those who profess Christ or profess to be followers of Christ, sadly, have listened to and have followed, in some cases, some thieves and some robbers and some hirelings. And Christ had a warning and it's a contrast between himself as the good shepherd, as the door, and these false shepherds. Now, this imagery of sheeps, of sheep, excuse me, a poor grammatical term there, sheep and shepherds, this, this, was, this, this imagery, this analogy would have been very well understood by the Jews in the first century. We, we live in a technological culture. We have more modern conveniences. Uh, there's much more uh, farming and, and rural type of communities around Lafayette uh, than, than where I grew up in Indianapolis. It used to be that I could just drive a short distance out of Indianapolis and I would be out in, uh, in the rural uh, country uh, areas, uh, but Indianapolis has just continued to expand and it's, it's not that way in, anymore. But in five, ten minutes, I can be outside of Lafayette and I can be in some rural areas and, and see some farms and, and some of you even basically live on, on a farm. And uh, I don't know if any of you keep sheep, but I was driving out to the golf course yesterday and I saw a farm with, with some sheep there on the, the north side of, of 26. And uh, some of you know probably that, that, that farm there that I'm referring to. And, and, and sheep are, are, are dumb animals. And there's a reason that we are referred to as sheep. Because we are, are, very, are, are very dumb. Now, we're human beings. I don't mean that as an offensive thing, that we're all a bunch of stupid idiots. That's not my point. But in a spiritual sense, we're, we're, we're dumb. 
we're stubborn, we're self-willed, we get into all kinds of trouble. We need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. And as human beings made in the image of God with dignity, we know that there is an eternal part of man, there is a soul that yearns for God. Eternity has been set in the heart of man. A sheep knows its need for a shepherd, knows the voice of the shepherd, needs that shepherd to guide and to lead. We as human beings, we are yearning inside for God, but we seek Him in all the wrong ways many times. We go after the thieves and the robbers and the hirelings Many times we see people listening to the thieves and the robbers and the hirelings and missing out on eternity and salvation because they refuse to hear the voice of the good shepherd. They refuse to enter in by the door, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is making a clear and a very stark contrast here. And the imagery of sheep and shepherds was very common. It was very easy for the Jews, for the believers, for the Jews, and for those in that day, in the, 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 the sound of the voice of Jesus Christ, they, they understood sheep. They understood shepherds. Psalm 23, we, we know very well. Many of the Jews would have been very familiar with the Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 80, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up thy strength and come and save us. So the imagery of a shepherd of sheep would have been common, would have been understood. Isaiah 40 has a stark warning about false shepherds but speaks to the one true shepherd in verse 10 of Isaiah 40. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arms shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. So we see Psalm 23, Psalm 80, Isaiah 40, all referencing God as the shepherd. So when Jesus makes reference in John 10 to being the good shepherd, there was the connection with Christ identifying himself with God as God. These are, again, references to his deity. And the I am statements, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, again, are I am statements that Christ is the I am. He is Jehovah. He is Yahweh God. That connection would have been clear. But there are warnings, Ezekiel 34, of the under shepherds, the false shepherds that were leading Israel astray. Judgment pronounced on the false shepherds in Ezekiel 34. Zechariah 11, 16 and 17, there are woes, there are judgments that are pronounced on the under-shepherds, the leaders of Israel and Judah. What a warning it is. I don't want to ever take this lightly as being a preacher of the gospel, the word of God. 
Because when I read Ezekiel 34 and I read Zechariah 11, I'm in that role. I have that responsibility as a shepherd of God's flock. If I exercise this leadership and this calling in a way that leads people away from the word, that leads people away from Christ, that leads people away from God, then woe is unto me. Those judgments hit home with me as I read them in Ezekiel 34 and Zechariah 11. This is a grave responsibility. There were prophets, there were priests, there were leaders in Israel and in Judah who were under woe, under judgment for leading the people away from God and leading them into idolatry and immorality. So there was a great yearning, a great need coming through the Old Testament into the New Testament. There was a a longing for a perfect prophet, a perfect priest, and a perfect king. There was a yearning for a good shepherd who would lead his people. And Jesus is that good shepherd. He is the door. And Jesus is proclaiming the truth and drawing this contrast. In Hebrews 13 and verse 20, the writer of the book of Hebrews refers to Christ as the great shepherd of the sheep. In 1 Peter 5 and verse number 4, Peter, by the inspiration of God, refers to Jesus as the chief shepherd. So what are some characteristics that draw the contrast between the true shepherd and the false shepherd. Well, we've already identified in verse number one that the false shepherd enters in another way. He's a thief. He's a robber. The sheepfold had one entrance. A sheepfold was often built with stone, heaped up for protection against wolves and against other predators. David himself, being a shepherd, had killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands. So we know in Bible times that there were even lions and bears in that area that would attack the sheep, along with wolves and other predators. There were stones that were built up to provide a fold for the sheep, and there was only one entrance into the sheepfold. One way and only way. There's an old kid song, maybe you learned in junior church or in Sunday school, one door and only one, something along that line, I can't even sing it, and yet its sides are two, something along that line, and the, 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 the song goes on to talk about there's only one way, there's only one way, one road that leads to heaven, and we have a world today that believes that God is on the top of some mountain, and there are all these paths, there's all these trails, you know, you can get out your GPS and you can find a multitude of ways to get to a city, to get to a town. Now, Google Maps even tells us the most fuel-efficient way, which might mean driving through all kinds of highways and byways, but it might save you five minutes, so it's the most fuel-efficient. You might reduce your carbon footprint by taking the other way that the GPS tells you to go. Now, we can argue with GPS or Apple Maps or iMaps or whatever it's called, and there's multitudes of ways to get to a destination. But there's only one way to heaven. 
It's through Jesus Christ. The thief and the robber, they come in, they come through another way. The hireling is actually taking advantage of the sheep. The hireling is there to accept a paycheck. The hireling is there to just go through the motions and pretend that he actually cares for the sheep, but he doesn't. And when there's difficulty, when there's a threat to the safety of the sheep, the hireling runs. He doesn't give his life for the sheep. Jesus is drawing a contrast. We can see who the good shepherd is in contrast to the false shepherd because the false shepherd comes some other way. We read in 1 John 4, in verse number 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone into the world. What are we told to do? What does 1 John 4 and verse 1 tell us to do? To try the spirits. Not everybody that gets up there and proclaims the word of God, that, that, that gets on the internet and, and claims to have some profession of faith, to have some version of Christianity, not every single one of them is a true shepherd who reflects the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, and his teachings. There are too many false shepherds out there that are thieves, that are robbers, that are hirelings. And we have to try the spirits to see whether they be of God. The very first thing is, do they identify with the true doctrine of the Word of God, do they teach salvation by faith alone in Christ alone? Do they teach salvation by faith in Christ and His finished work on the cross and His resurrection? Or do they preach another gospel? A gospel of good works. A gospel of progressive Christianity that says, I can get there my own way. I can deny the doctrines of the Bible. I can redefine the doctrinal terms I can redefine what the Scripture says. I can make up my own definitions for the Scripture. I can then insert my own works, my own good deeds, and I can get to heaven on my own way. That's a thief. That's a robber. That's a hireling. We have to be able to identify those. They come in some other way. They deny salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. But we go on. We see the hireling in verse number 12. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, who, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. Another way that we see a false shepherd is he doesn't love the sheep. He's not the owner, the protector, the provider. He allows the wolf to catch and to take away the sheep and to scatter them. He has no deep-seated concern or sincere interest in the sheep. He flees at the threat of danger or harm. He has self-interest as his motive. It's sad today that many churches, many religious leaders, even religious organizations, have hirelings running the organization or leading the church. Again, it's a grave responsibility. It's something I don't ever want to take lightly. This is a calling of God to lead, to pastor, to shepherd as an under-shepherd, the church. And woe is me if I ever, as a pastor, preach a false gospel or allow false teaching into the church and don't do something about it. It is 
a grave responsibility. But we have too often internet-savvy individuals who you can go to YouTube, you can go to all the different social media sites, and if we are not willing to take 1 John 4 and verse number 1 and try the spirits to see where they be of God, we can get quickly caught up in following a hireling, a thief, or a robber. In, I'm reading, I'm a little bit of a, of a techno-savvy guy. I, I enjoy technology to a certain degree. And I listen to some technology podcasts and things. And it's, it's, it's sad that even Google has algorithms now that steer people away from truth and will even steer people toward lies. I heard just this week of algorithms in certain social media and search engines that steer people away from getting help when it comes to a crisis pregnancy where they are literally by the search engine, by the social media, they are steered toward murdering their baby, their unborn baby, as if that's the only option. Literally, the algorithms, the search engines are steering people away from what is life-giving and calling life-giving opportunities and efforts and teaching, calling that lies and misinformation. If they're willing to do that about unborn life, about preborn life, you better believe me that those algorithms and those search engines are steering people away from the truth of the Word of God. So we must be discerning. In an internet-saturated world, we have to have in our fingertips, on our searches, we have to be trying the spirits to see whether they be of God. Because there is a lot of false teaching and it's getting into the church. And what it does sometimes is it begins to cause believers to doubt the absolute authority of God's Word. It begins to cause believers to say, well, you know, that sin isn't that bad. Well, you know what, maybe it isn't even sin. You know what, as a matter of fact, we can dabble in it a little bit because that little bit of sin won't affect me. And Satan gets a toehold, and then he gets a foothold, and then he gets a beach hold, And then he gets a stronghold in our lives. And the thief and the robber and the hireling, they know that. They can come and they can deceive those sheep who are not in tune with the voice of the good shepherd. We see here in this contrast between the false shepherd and the good shepherd, we see in Psalm 23, the good shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me in green pastures beside the still waters. We read in John chapter number 10 that the good shepherd, verse number 2, but he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. So the good shepherd has a porter. The porter is the gatekeeper who works as the under-shepherd, recognizing the authority and the leadership of the good shepherd and opens the gate and assists him in caring for the sheep and guards them at night. Who's the under-shepherd? Who's the porter? Who's the gatekeeper? Well, we can make reference to the pastor who is the under-shepherd. As a pastor, my work 
is shepherding. I have the office of the bishop, but I am an elder in that I am a man who is in the office of the bishop doing the work of the pastor, of shepherding the people. And pastors are warned in Acts chapter 20 to consider themselves and to consider the flock of God. So the gatekeeper, the porter, is an under-shepherd. My authority does not come from myself. My authority comes from God, and I am only an ambassador. I'm only a messenger, as I talked about last week, and I am to, to, I'm to look to the Word of God. I'm to look to the authority of God, and I am to be an under-shepherd, a gatekeeper, a porter, who works for the good shepherd to lead his sheep in and out of the sheepfold. And as his porter, as his gatekeeper, I have the responsibility to care for the sheep and to guide them to hear the good shepherd's voice. So the good shepherd comes in and out by the one way, the door. He has a porter. He has a gatekeeper. So what is our responsibility as sheep? I am first of all a sheep. Yes, I am an under-shepherd, but I am first of all a sheep. Whose voice am I to be hearing? The good shepherd's voice. I'm to be so in tune with the good shepherd's voice that I understand God's will, that I make decisions according to the principles, the promises, and the commands of God's word. In that case, I'm no different than anybody else. Yes, I'm called to be a pastor, to be an under-shepherd, but what, what are all sheep supposed to do? To respond to the voice of their shepherd, to follow the voice of their shepherd. I have not been a shepherd. I have done a little bit of study on sheep. But Philip Keller is an uh, author of a book, and Philip Keller was a shepherd for many years. And he wrote in his book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, he wrote in that book that a sheep won't lie down unless it is free of fear, friction with others, pests, and hunger. So what does that say about the sheep? Sheep can be fearful animals. Are we not fearful people sometimes? With all the negative headlines, I've talked about how young people today, they have to bear the weight, the burden of a thousand negative headlines now. When we were growing up, we didn't have to. Now with the 24-7 news cycle, there's negative headlines on the phones, on the social media, 24-7. Just by going to an app on a television now, there's ads that pop up that strike fear in the heart of young people. They strike fear in the heart of older people. They strike fear in the heart of Christians sometimes. And like sheep, we can't rest in God. We can't settle down. We can't walk closely with our shepherd, the Lord, because we're in fear. And God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. The good shepherd brings rest. He brings peace. Tonight in the message this evening, we'll talk about the joy of hope. We're going to speak to this joy that we have and the hope that it brings. What about friction with others? What does that say about sheep? If they can't lie down because of friction with others, that means that sheep 
have a tendency to not get along with other sheep. And I think we would all say amen to that. Sometimes we nitpick. We pick up the offenses of others. We're constantly critical. We have to be careful that we're not always having a critical spirit, always complaining, always looking for the, the, the faults in others. When we have a big old log, big old beam in our own eye, and we're trying to pick out the splinter in somebody else's, that tells us that sheep have to have a shepherd who sometimes has to get into people's lives. And sometimes I realize that the preaching from this pulpit is confrontational. But that's necessary because the word of God confronts us in our sin. And I, even, in conf, even in confrontational preaching, I want to preach the love of God and the love of Christ. But the best answer for our sin is the truth. The truth that we are sinners who can receive the forgiveness of God through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. So there's friction with others that causes a sheep to not be able to rest. But what about pests? Does that not speak to the fact that we as sheep get around pests, sins, and places that we don't belong, allowing things to get into our lives that don't belong there? We uh, have a, a, a wooded area behind our house, and we have some of the biggest spiders that I've ever seen. In America, I've seen a bigger spider in Africa. But they are huge. We have a pest control guy coming out tomorrow to help alleviate some of the, the pests around our house. Well, we all say, yeah, that seems obvious. You got ants, you got spiders, you got these bugs, you know, those stink bugs. We found out they lay their eggs in the fall and they hatch in the spring. So we had stink bugs in our house last spring, found out that they had probably laid eggs the, the previous fall. Well, now we know, so they're getting dealt with tomorrow. Okay, but we let pests into our life. We let the eggs of sin get laid in our life. Ah, it won't affect me. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. I can control that. A little bit of that, a little bit of this. And before long, the sin hatches. And it's very difficult to deal with. That's why we want young people to have good habits of Bible reading of obedience, of faithfulness to the Word of God and control what they see, what they hear, what they watch, and where they go and what they do. Because those habits eventually form character, and character eventually forms a destiny. And your character is what you will take with you the rest of your life. Your athletic ability might go away, your music ability might go away, your educational and intellectual abilities may go away, but your character goes with you. Everywhere you go, pests cause the sheep to not be able to rest, to be able to settle, to lie down. A good shepherd deals with the pests. And a sheep in tune with the voice of the good shepherd is able to recognize the pests and get away with them and deal with them so they don't get into their life and infest their life and cause those habits and destroy that character and that integrity for the Lord. And then finally, hunger. The good shepherd recognizes that sheep need food. It's important. Again, I can't help but make application as a pastor. It is important for me to bring expository, exegetical messages on a regular basis. It's important for me as a pastor to make sure that our different groups, ladies groups and the college group, 
and our children's Sunday school and our teens' Sunday school and the men's Bible studies and the different groups. It's important as a pastor that I make sure that our people are getting fed the Word of God, line upon line, precept upon precept. But what does that speak to about the sheep? That we will sometimes starve ourselves on the slop of the world. We'll starve ourselves on the cotton candy Christianity. We'll starve ourselves on the concession stand food. Now, I don't know about you, but a nachos with cheese is good every once in a while, but a regular diet of nachos and cheese and pretzels and those hot dogs that go around in those little machines at the gas station, those only go so far. And that rubber chicken they call chicken nuggets, okay? And that grease-fired pizza that you can buy at those little concession stands and that fair food that you can get, that stuff doesn't last. As a matter of fact, more times than not, it causes indigestion. It's important for me as a pastor to give you the wholesome word of God, line upon line, precept upon precept, to rightly divide the word of truth. And in doing so, you learn as expository listeners how to study and apply the word of God yourself so that you can be equipped to every good work. What does the sheep need to do? Listen to the voice of the shepherd so that they get to the right pasture to get fed the right food. What do you sometimes see as you drive by those farms? You see that sheep, you see that animal, and they've got their head through the barbed wire fence trying to eat the weeds on the other side. And you look behind that animal, and there's a whole acre of good, green, luscious grass, and they're over there sticking their head through the barbed wire trying to get the slop on the other side, the weeds on the other side. That'll probably just cause a stomach ache. And too often, we as believers, we do that because we get away from the voice of the shepherd, the good shepherd. We begin to listen to the false ideas of the world and the lies of the world. We need to come back once again and be in tune to the voice of the shepherd. That's where the true joy, the true satisfaction, that's where the true rest comes for us as sheep. So we've seen a little bit of the contrast between the false shepherd and the good shepherd. We don't have time today to deal with all the others, but just briefly, the good shepherd, he gives true freedom. Verse number 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go out in and out and find pasture. So the good shepherd brings and gives true freedom. He protects and provides. Find pasture. We just spent a little bit of time dealing with that. And Psalm 23 references the same thing about green pastures and still waters. The good shepherd gives life, verse number 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That word abundantly means far beyond what is necessary. It, it, it hearkens to Ephesians 3 and verse number 20 where he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. We follow the voice of the good shepherd and he gives us abundant life that far exceeds beyond what is necessary. It's, exceedingly, it's exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. The good shepherd is good. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. He is sinless. He is pure. The good shepherd saves, verse 16, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. The good shepherd saves, he brings forgiveness, he brings the love of God, he brings salvation. And then the good shepherd sacrifices. Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, sacrificed his life, made the payment for our sin, paid the penalty for our sin. 
If there's someone here who does not know Christ as their personal Savior, won't today you find the Good Shepherd as the salvation of your soul? Won't you enter into the sheepfold by the door, the only way, Jesus Christ? As believers, may we be in tune to the voice of the Good Shepherd and follow Him and fulfill His will and live obedient lives and experience His blessing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word that speaks to our hearts, that deals, Lord, with our sin, that helps us in our Christian walk. Lord, I pray if there's someone here who does not know You as their Savior, Lord, I pray that today will be the day of salvation. Pray, Lord, that You will do Your work in our hearts as believers, Lord. I pray that we will examine ourselves. Lord, if there's some area of our life that You have dealt with, that, Lord, even now as we close and singing this song, that, Lord, You will help us to get that matter right, to deal with that sin, to deal with that weight that so easily besets us. Help us, Lord, not to allow the pests, to not allow the sins of this world to drown out the voice of you, our good shepherd. Help us to be in tune to your voice and to follow you and to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jake's going to come and lead us in a closing stanza. If you'll stand to your feet and find in your hymnals 452, 452, stanza number four of O to be like thee, as Jake comes and lead us, leads us in this closing song. If God is dealing with you and your life in any way, you can do business with the Lord even as we sing. If we can help in any way after the service, we'd be happy to do so, take you uh, to a quiet place and show you from the Word of God how you can be saved or, or how the Lord can help you from His Word. Uh, we'd be happy to do that. But Jake's going to come and lead us in stanza number four, 452, Ode to Be Like Thee. Ode to be like thee, while I am pleading, pour out thy spirit, fill with thy love. Make me a temple, meet for my dwelling, fit me for life Again, if we can help you in any way, please uh, let us know. I know that some of us probably need to go home and take a nap this afternoon after a busy day yesterday and a full day, but it's been a blessing to be together today. It's so good to see you. If you are a guest with us and you uh, were able to fill out a guest card, if you could uh, drop that in the offering box there in the back, that way we have record of your visit with us. That would be greatly appreciated. Thank you for being here, for being a part of our service tonight at 5 o'clock. We'll look at the, uh, the joy of hope. And I hope that you'll be able to be back this evening at 5. And at uh, this time, we'll ask Nat Rumba if he'll close us in prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this portion of Scripture, Lord, that deals with uh, sheep and shepherds, Lord. And, uh, we know that all we, like sheep, have gone astray, and uh, we uh, definitely need the Savior, Father. We uh, thank you for leading to uh, people who may not know you as their Savior, Father. Uh, thank you for this opportunity now to uh, address that and uh, to contemplate their own destiny, Father. Uh, thank you for all the service this morning. It's uh, great to be 
Amen. Have a good afternoon. We'll see you tonight.